Good morning, everybody. My name's Kyle. Uh, I do hail from the uh, small coastal village of Seapoint, just down the road, and it's very nice to be with you again. Um, thought I, as a by way of introduction, uh, church is all about, not all about, but one of the things we do at church is uh, we confess things, and uh, other things we want to be known for is inclusion and uh, understanding. And so, on that note, I want to ask, is it a good morning to tell you that I'm half Welsh? What color do you see me wearing? These are the questions you want to be asking yourself. No, but I just want to put that out there. There we go. And there's some gold to prove that it's actually legitimate. But guys, I am half Welsh. Uh, <clears throat> so I am sort of split allegiance. And if South Africa lose, I still win. So I'm excited for today. Um, I am a fan of Dan Bigger's kicking as well. So it's going to be a great day, guys. Hope you're all looking forward. Boomy, boomy now. But we're about inclusion here. Um, honestly, guys, welcome to today. Um, special welcome to anyone who uh, is checking out church, checking out faith, exploring the claims of Jesus. Uh, maybe it's your first time coming into an environment like this. We do want to say welcome and try to orientate you the best we can in terms of um, where we're at. So we are in week five of a series called Walk This Way, where we're looking at... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 to 521 and it's part of our bigger Ephesians journey that we've been going on through the whole year looking at Paul's letter to this church in Ephesus 2000 years ago and right now we're deep into the second half of the letter where Paul um, has started to get really practical in talking to the Ephesians and to us about what it looks like to live out um, practically the Christian life. And a Christian is someone who has recognized that there is a creator God, um, but that we are um, separated from him because of our sin, the internal condition of our heart, and the actions and life that flows from that. Um, it is all, in many ways, a rebellion against this good God who set up this world for our good and for our flourishing. So we, we've recognized that, but we've also recognized that this God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him and to get back on track to um, his plans and his purposes, and he's made a way by sending Jesus Christ, his son, um, to come and pay the price for our sin on our behalf when he died on the cross. And now by faith um, and repentance, by turning away from our sin, turning away from our old lives, turning our gaze and our faith towards Jesus, we trust in him and that payment for our sin and his perfect record of righteousness is all credited to our account. And we're reconciled to God. We start a brand new relationship with him and we set, up on, we set out on a whole new way of life. That's, that's where we're getting the, the name of our, our series, Walk This Way. There's a whole new path, a whole new way that we're walking on, which is different to the way we used to walk, and it's different from the way many people in our city uh, currently walk. We're on this unique path. <clears throat> and so for those of us who are looking into faith today, um, I love to just say this from time to time, the commands, the directives, the things that Paul is sort of um, speaking to us, he really is speaking to, to, to Christ followers. Um, and so if you're looking in, I want you to consider these, these, these commands, these admonitions, this calling to a way of life. I want you to consider um, the life that we are wanting to live as Christ followers. But on top of that, I want you to really consider Jesus. I want you to consider the person and the work of Jesus because this whole way of life of ours is really focused and centered around him. We're not going to be doing and obeying him and following him unless our lives are really about him. And so I want to invite you to explore Jesus today. Hear about him. Hear who he is. Hear what he's done. Hear what he has for you. Hear how he feels about you. So we are closing off this, this series. It's week five of five. And Paul is going to guide us uh, today um, by calling us to two things, calling us to two things. The first is to walk intentionally and walk wisely, 
That's thing number one. And the second thing is to walk as people filled with the Spirit. Walk as people filled with the Spirit. These are the two things that I want to draw out from the passage. So let's read it, and then we're going to dive in. Ephesians five fifteen to 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's God's word to us today. And as I was thinking and praying about today, yesterday, I just really had this ease and confidence that God is just going to do things today. He's going to prevent decisions that you might make in the years to come, and he's going to, he's going to radically alter the courses of, of lives in small practical ways that actually could, could echo for generations for the worst and can now echo to generations for the good. Um, I really think that God is going to do that. He's going to put stuff, he's going to put habits, he's going to put rhythms in our lives that really are going to serve us, going to serve our families, our friends now, and going to serve the generations to come. And so... Let's go. Let's see what Paul and uh, God ultimately has for us here. So the first thing is this. Walk intentionally and wisely. This is the call today. Walk intentionally and wisely. Let me just read that passage again, 15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, because of that as well, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, so Paul talks about here the days being evil. The days are evil. And that's the reason, one of the reasons here, that he calls us to be intentional and to be wise because the days are evil. And so what is he talking about here? What does he mean when he says the days are evil? Um, well, the Bible quite clearly says um, that uh, no one is good except God. And you could push that and say nothing is ultimately good in and of itself. It finds its goodness in God, the creator God. He is the one that is ultimately good. And so if something is evil, in some ways, um, it's, it's set up against God. It's playing out against God. And what Paul's saying here is that days are ticking away in, in, in a shape or a form that is is against God and against us because we are with God. We're partnering with God. And this flows out in a whole bunch of different ways. Firstly, the church has lived in dark, evil days in some shape or form for the last 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters in cultures and seasons have, have, have been persecuted, marginalized, and faced opposition because of their faith. They have lived in, quote-unquote, evil days. Um, right now, we feel very real pressure and temptations every day from Satan, from the culture around us, um, to, to go a certain way against God and towards things that he would say are not good for us. Um, and on top of that, our own sinful hearts that, that, that the still have a wrestle and a struggle want to pull us towards things that, that are evil. The days are evil. Also, we haven't arrived on the new earth yet. That's our destination. We are going to a, a new heavens and a new earth where everything is redeemed. Everything is perfect. Everything is good. Everything is sinless. But right now, although the, the back of sin, Satan, and death has been broken on the cross, the sting has been removed, um, we're not quite there yet. Okay, The kingdom of God has not fully arrived yet. And so Satan is still running around trying to create havoc. Death is still a very real enemy. The days are, are not perfect. The days are still... Evil. People treat each other with evil. People talk to each other with evil. The spending of money can be evil. And on top of this, people are right now 
um, perishing with a, into a, a Christless future, a Christless future where 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 Jesus has will not pay for their sin, but they will pay for their own sin because they are not in Christ. They haven't trusted in Christ. And so Louis Armstrong, he wrote a song in the 60s, and I would say that the title of that song is very wrong. We do not have all the time in the world. We do not have all the time in the world. Time's against us. Time's against us storing up treasure in heaven. There is a finite amount of time to contribute to the kingdom, to store up treasure in heaven, because with every breath we take, we have to think about this, that time is whittling away. That time is whittling away. And we have an enemy who, who wants us to waste our days and waste our lives and not contribute to the kingdom of God. Ultimately, friends, the, the days are evil. We're not in Disneyland. We're not hanging out. We're not just watching the fireworks. We are in a war zone. We are in a battle. And that's why Paul says the days are evil. Therefore, be intentional. Be wise. That's his call to us. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what foolishness is, I got this definition from Michael Eaton, I think it's really helpful. Foolishness is being governed by short-term, short-sighted desires. That's how he sums up foolishness. Whatever just pops up in front of me and it's the best I can see, let's go with this. That's, that's foolishness. Wisdom is the exact opposite of that. Wisdom considers consequences. It takes the long view. It looks at the whole as well as the part. It looks at things from multiple angles. That's what wisdom is. And it means we take time considering what we're doing. We have to, as Christ followers, take, take time considering what we're doing. Being intentional. Okay, I wanted to say this. Don't just drift. I say it to myself. Don't drift. Don't just coast. That, is, that, that doesn't just keep you somewhere. That actually takes you somewhere. Don't waste the hours. Don't waste the days. And we'll come to this a bit more later, but I, I want us to realize, and I don't know if it's Rigby or Paul or whoever says this, but um, you don't have to do something ridiculously terrible and end up in jail in order to waste your life. Um, you can just be distracted for a day, a week, a month, a year, and you can waste your life that way. You don't have to go and shoot someone and throw your life away. You, you can waste it just as much by sitting in front of the TV day in and day out, or whatever it might be. Don't think that the big thing will waste your life. It's the small distractions that can waste our lives. And the thing that undergirds wise living here, the thing that's right underneath all of this that Paul is getting at here, is the will of the Lord, the will of the Lord. So there's been lots of stuff in the last few years. Um, if you think of Simon Sinek um, talking about uh, Start With Why. Okay, He's got his whole book and his whole website and organization, Start With Why. We're recapturing, figuring out our why. Then he's got his next follow-up book, which was Find Your Why. Find Your Why. We just ran a conference with Ken Costa called Know Your Why. Uh, everyone's been recapturing this thought of the why of life matters because the why leads to the what. The why leads to the what. So your purpose, your drive is going to cause you to make certain decisions in life. It's going to cause you to, to um, go with certain what's. And there are lots of decisions and there are lots of what's that are coming up in our lives every day as Christ followers. And we need to be consistently reminded of the big why all the time if we're to, if we're to make those decisions correctly, make those decisions wisely. And our why is the will of God. That's our big why. If you, if, you, if you don't need to do a massive course to figure out your why. Your why is the will 
of the law. That's what Paul's getting at here. And uh, the will of God here, what he's talking about here, it's not the secret, special, unique will for your life, the sort of particular will of God for your life. Um, that is a thing, but I also want to say, I think in the modern church, we've, we've overplayed this thing to the point of um, paralysis, where we don't want to move until we know exactly the exact person and how and what and how it's all going to work out. And I would say that we've, we've, we've tripped ourselves up sometimes uh, in, in the modern church on this. No. Um, it, we are going to have to work things out, and there are going to be specific decisions that we have to work out. But rather than trying to focus and figure out the particular will of God, we need to zoom out as Christ followers and think of the revealed will of God, the general will of God, because as we walk, it's that that's going to help us to shape those smaller particular decisions. I hope that makes sense. And so we need to know and understand the general will of God. There's a great verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so there are questions of who, who am I going to marry and where am I going to be in the next five years and how exactly are some of my giftings and senses of calling going to play out. And um, the bottom line is these things belong to the Lord. These things belong to the Lord. We'll have to make decisions, but a lot of this stuff you only see clearly when you turn around and look back over your life and you can trace the will of God. But no, what we need to do, what we need to do, what Paul's calling us to do here is, and I and use this word intentionally, fixate on the will of God that has been revealed in Scripture for all our lives. And what I'm going to quickly mention here is the will of God for your life. And I believe this, if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower here today, this is the will of God for your life, okay? It's things like this, to be rescued from sin and restored to, to relationship with God, to know and love God, to be known and be loved by God, to become like Jesus, to be close to Jesus. That's why we, we hate sin, because it, it robs us of that. To serve and follow Jesus as Lord, to participate in the kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven to reflect God to the world around us and point people to salvation in him. This is the will of God. These sorts of things are the will of God. The list isn't long. Most of the Bible probably fits into these sorts of phrases. This is the will of God. And so with with that in mind, with these things in mind, we need to be intentional. We need to, I love that phrase in, in Ephesians, we need to look carefully how we walk, how we spend our time. Jonathan Edwards, uh, uh, he was a sort of revivalist preacher in America in the 1700s. And when he was young, he, he wrote this list, which you can find in, in books and find it online, Jonathan Edwards' uh, resolutions. And one of his resolutions he wrote down when he was young was this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I can. So he, Jonathan Edwards was catching this thing of what Paul was calling us to here about intentionality, about wisdom. So what this means and what this probably looks like is that we need to, in some shape or form, reverse engineer our life. Reverse engineer our life. And what I mean by this is we need to look to the future. We need to see our life in 20, 30, 40 years from now. And we need to say, who should I be then? Who am I meant to be then? And what are the kinds of things that I was meant to have given my life to by the time I reached that point? And then with that in mind, we need to work backwards and we need to structure our days and our weeks and our years in light of the answers to that question. We need to take control. We need to take 
um, structure and form, okay? We need to think about our work and our rest. We need to think about our family, think about community, think about mission, think about communion with God. And we need to use the time well. The finite amount of time that we have been given as a resource, we need to use it well. So when we're at work, we need to work. Because then you don't need to work when it should be time to play and it should be time to rest. When it's time to sleep, sleep. Okay, don't, don't, like, and I, this is, you, this is not for students, this is for 20s and 30 year olds. Don't waste your time playing video games and then be super tired and like suck at work the next day. Use the time wisely. We need to rule over, we need to have dominion over our calendars and we need to have dominion over our budget so that they don't rule us. And they don't point us and call us to different things. No, we need to steward those things and call them to what God would have us call them to. So we need to ask ourselves these questions. We need to look at our days and look at our years coming up and ask ourselves things like this. When will I speak to God? It's kind of a big one. If, 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 the, if one of the main purposes of life and God's will for us is to know him and love him and have communion with him, when will I speak to him? Imagine you got married and um, the purpose was for you to grow closer to your spouse and glorify God together and get to know each other and you don't make any time or plan to speak to your spouse. That's really interesting. So when will I speak to God? When will I hear from God in his word? Who's God placed in front of me today? How would God have me serve them? How should I spend this money that I have? When will I sharpen the gifts God may have given me? And if I need to do certain things well, well, when will I rest? And how will I rest? Will that thing that I'm doing really help me rest in order to be able to do the thing well that God's called me to? What should I do for recreation? When I do that thing, do I really feel recreated or do I feel dead after I've done that thing which I thought was going to relax me? If time's not on my side, um, I probably need to take care of my health because if the days are short anyway, I don't want to shorten them even more. So what does that look like? How and when will I exercise? I ask these questions to myself right now, not being judgmental. But these are the questions that we do need to ask ourselves, and we're going to have to ask them continuously because seasons, times are going to change, contexts are going to change. But um, maybe some of you are thinking here, Sheesh, if, if, all this is, if, if I'm meant to be loving God and everything's meant to be out of an overflow of response to Him, um, does planning really line up to that? Because I think, again, there's this sort of lie which we can buy into in the modern church, which is, no, uh, unless something's coming from an overflow of spontaneity and, and just flowing out of me, um, then it's not real and it's not genuine and it can't be love. And I would say, rubbish, rubbish. Let's think about this. We plan things for those we love. We plan date nights because we love our spouses. Okay, We plan gifts for our friends because we love our friends. We plan parties for our siblings because we love our siblings. Planning is not opposed to love. We plan because we love. And it's the same with God. We plan around God because we love God. And think about this. Salvation in the New Testament is often spoken of as God's plan because he so loved us. So even God planned a whole bunch of stuff because he loved you and he loved me. So we plan, and with all this wisdom and intentionality, I hope you really do catch this thing of being intentional. With all this in mind, we can completely understand then why Paul would give us a specific example um, and command in verse 18, an example of being unwise, when he says, and don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, or the NIV reads, for that leads to debauchery. All right, that's, this is a little example that he highlights here of, of how to waste your time, how to waste your days. Um, 
And maybe I can say a few things quickly here. First of all, um, for the possible legalists in the room who are tempted to create rules that aren't found in the Bible, um, drinking wine is not being prohibited here. Drinking wine is not being prohibited here, okay? Cape Town has an amazing heritage of winemaking. It's a glorious thing. We honestly are grateful to God for it. It is a common grace that blesses Christians and non-Christians. And I'm serious. I'm dead, dead serious. Think about this. Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine. And if you actually think about it, he added more wine to the wedding because there was already wine that had been finished. So the Bible does not prohibit the drinking of wine. That's the first thing I want to say. What Paul does say is, don't get drunk with wine. To another bunch of people, I want to say, um, for those of you who might be looking for loopholes here, when Paul says wine, he is also including beer, cider, rum, (laughs) vodka, Malibu, ouzo, brandy, whiskey. Add whatever else you want to add to. He only said wine. No. But why? Why is... God saying this to us. Is he a boring God? Is he a boring God? Does he just, does he just want you to just be as bored as he is, sitting with the angels? So bored, having to manage this whole earth. Is he, is God really bored and he wants you to be bored? No. God has a really good reason. And it's very simple. It's foolish. That's his reason. It's foolish. And he loves us enough to tell us so. And let me, let me try to unpack for you why drunkenness is probably foolish. Um, Drunkenness is going to waste your money, it's going to damage your health, and it's going to facilitate stupidity and sin in your life. That's what drunkenness is going to do to you. Um, the elders got together on Thursday morning, and one of the things we were doing is looking at our family trees and seeing um, heritages that have been passed down to us for good or for bad. Um, and I, didn't, I haven't been very intentional with looking up in my family, and so I don't have much to contribute in that conversation. But the two things I could um, say and recognize was that my great-grandfather on my mom's side was a serious alcoholic who, because of that lifestyle, ended up shooting himself. His grandson then pursued alcohol, eventually lost everything, including his kids, who eventually changed their surname because they didn't want to have anything to do with that side of my family. And then he himself eventually died alone and destitute. There was very real consequences to drunkenness. There was very real foolishness and destructive stuff that flowed from it. Uh, Paul lent me a book this week by Malcolm Gladwell. You might know him. He's an author, um, Outliers, David and Goliath. He, 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 he basically takes research and makes propositions and, and looks at things and, and, and shows trends. And he's got this book, Talking to Strangers. It's his latest one. And I haven't read the whole book. I just read the one chapter that Paul recommended on, um, on alcohol and his, his whole um, proposal that, geez, guys, this thing, um, people do stupid things, but alcohol exacerbates and really puts on steroids um, the problems and the evils in our society. And he, he speaks about the myopia theory of alcohol. The old theory of alcohol was that um, when you drank, the real you came out. That was sort of the theory, okay? When, when the inhibitions were low, um, the real you would leak out and you'd see who you truly were. And he says, actually, the latest wisdom, the latest theories, the, the myopia theory is the complete opposite. And let me just quickly read to you some of the quotes from the book. I found them super insightful. Alcohol's principal effect is to narrow our emotional and mental fields of vision. It creates a state of short-sightedness in which superficially understood immediate aspects of experience have a disproportionate influence on behavior and emotion. Alcohol makes the thing in the foreground even more salient and the thing in the background less significant. It makes short-term considerations loom large and more cognitively demanding longer-term considerations fade away. 
How much does that measure up to Michael Eaton's definition of foolishness and wisdom? Foolishness is short-sighted. It's short-sighted. And this just extends that. Drinking puts you at the mercy of your environment. All right? Someone may go and drink a lot in order to escape a bunch of pain and depressive thoughts in their life. And if they're at a rugby game and they're drinking a lot and their team's winning, it can actually make them come alive, forget their depression, forget the stuff they were worrying about, and just make them come alive. The very same person with the very same problems could go and sit alone in a bar and drink and actually become more depressed and more alone. It exacerbates our environment. It it gives control over to the world around us, not to ourselves. So the old theory is that your true self comes out. Malcolm Gladwell says that's not true. It impairs your ability to actually be you. It impairs your ability to actually be you. Alcohol isn't an agent of revelation. It is an agent of transformation. And one other quote, because I thought this was quite funny, the way he said it, but it was so frank. He starts, list, he starts talking about the trajectory of, of, of the night of drinking. And he says, the first drink dampens your frontal lobes. Very scientific. And he just says... It makes us a little dumber. And then it goes on, and it eventually impairs balance and vision. Thousands of people have lost their lives in car accidents because of this. Thousands of people who weren't the ones who were drunk have lost their lives because of this. And then it goes on, and it impairs your reason, where people end up making very evil and bad decisions. And he ends his chapter saying, Woman, when you are drunk, you are far more vulnerable. Men, when you are drunk you are far more likely to become a perpetrator of a crime. So Malcolm Gladwell's advice would echo that of Jesus. It's foolish. Don't do it. It's foolish. It affects us. It affects those around us. And it affects generations. So Africa has one of, if not the highest, fetal alcohol syndrome in the world. And in South Africa, the Western Cape most likely has the highest. 64 out of 1,000 kids are born with fetal alcohol syndrome. That completely stunts the possibilities for their life. Completely stunts it. And the tragic thing is that fetal alcohol syndrome is completely preventable up front, completely preventable up front, and irreversible once it's happened. So God would say, I love you. I love all the people in this city, and I love the generations to come. And so be wise. Think carefully of how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. So don't get drunk with wine or that whole other list of things. It's debauchery. Instead of being, we're going we're gonna to turn now from this light moment into, <laughs> into happiness. But instead of being filled with spirits, see what I did there? Walk as people filled with the spirit. That was really funny. You should have laughed louder. <laughs> instead of being filled with spirits, walk as people filled with with the Spirit, all right? Verse 18 to 21. Instead of being drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, Paul says, rather be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Friends, this is wisdom that Paul points us to. This is wisdom. This is going to infuse your life, uh, your life with, with more life and wisdom. And so there's the command, be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. And then there's a whole bunch of beneficial results and beautiful life-giving things that, that flow from that, flow through Spirit-filled people. 
And so what is being filled with the Spirit? What is being filled with the Spirit, okay? Um, it does have, and Paul links it here quite closely in a sense, um, it does have similarities with being drunk. I mean, then he, he mentions, he goes on to mention singing and melody and merriment. And let's be honest, we've all watched those movies where the Irish guys, sorry to discriminate here, but the Irish guys are in the pub and they are having a proper sing-along. Or it's the Hobbits or whoever it is, but they are going for it on their ale, and they are singing with merriment, or there's that scene where the guy is walking home alone at night on the road, but he is singing at the top of his lungs. So there is this superficial thing where being filled with the wine might cause you to sing, and, and being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, is going to cause you to sing. But that's quite a superficial one. There's a much, much deeper difference. Uh, there's many deeper differences. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this great preacher in the 20th century, before he became a preacher, he was a medical doctor. And, and he said, medically speaking, alcohol is a depressant. If it was on uh, a list, it won't be on the depressant list. And he's like, he literally said this in one of his books, if I had to put the Holy Spirit on some sort of substance list, it's going to be in the stimulus column. It's going to be in the stimulus column. Alcohol, depressant, Holy Spirit, stimulus. Stimulus. It's so different. It's different because it's wise. It's different because it's liberating rather than destructive. It is going to bring life rather than the risk of death. That's what being filled with the Spirit is going to accomplish. And there's two different ideas of being filled with the Spirit. There is uh, both 100% biblical, and we would affirm them. One is the sort of sudden blessing where the Holy Spirit fills a person, and there's a song, and there's a tongue, or there's boldness um, to preach or power for a task. And you read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, you see that happen. And there's another way it's used, which is a a constant characteristic of one's life. So there's certain people who are said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Barnabas, a person filled with the Holy Spirit. The deacons in Acts 6 were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a more constant sort of thing, not just a once-off thing. And most certainly, from every commentator I could find, what's being referred to here is that second one, this regular, constant life in the Spirit, rejoicing in the Spirit. And remember, the context of everything we're reading here from verses um, 17 of chapter 4 to almost the end is the context of godly living, not just once-off experiences. It's the context of godly living. The, The tense here in Greek is the present tense. It's constant. It's steady. There will be dramatic moments, but it's it's a forward movement that we can yield ourselves to God. And, and it isn't, if you, it sounds technical, but it's not the strong, be filled with the Spirit. It's a sense of yield yourself to the Spirit. Be filled. Allow yourself to be filled. Yield to Him, not to other things. Obey Him, not obeying sin, and you'll be filled with the Spirit. And then what are the results? And what's the life that comes from being filled with the Spirit? And Paul gives us this, this little list here. And the first is, is what I would say, fellowship and partnership is going to be a result of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, we're going, to, we're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, Paul says. To one another. We're going to encourage each other with the Scriptures. We're going to sing over each other. We're going to build each other up. It's the same thing that keeps coming up in Ephesians chapter 4. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to build up His church. And that's what this is here. Fellowship, partnership. And now many of you might think, okay, sheesh, I've never, I've never sung a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song to someone else. I've, I've sung those to God, but I haven't looked at, you know, hey, Drew, come here, man, I just want to sing this over you. And, and, and to be honest, that might seem really weird, but it's also spiritual, godly, and biblical. Like, it, it, I, I'm not denying it might be weird, but it's definitely spiritual. It's definitely biblical. It's definitely godly. And maybe we can recapture something here. 
Okay, we do want to be a charismatic church. We believe. We believe in this stuff. And maybe we can learn from other traditions and, and be open to this stuff and step out. Okay, maybe you do need to go sing a verse over someone today or another day. Maybe God is putting a song in your heart, a spiritual song for you to come and sing over the congregation. I've, I've been in meetings where, where Greg has done that. God has given him a spiritual song and he sung it over the congregation. Some of you shouldn't come up here and, and sing a spiritual song, but maybe some of you should. Maybe some of you, some of you should. Hopefully we can continue to learn and continue to be built up. Okay, so being filled with the Spirit, it, it creates fellowship. It creates partnership together. It also gives birth to worship. Sing and make melody to the Lord this time with your hearts. Okay, we should be people who sing, not just sing, but sing with joy to God from our hearts. Think of these things. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That is totally worth singing about. All right. Jesus Christ came to earth, died on our behalf to break the power of sin and break the chains of slavery that were on us. That is totally worth singing about. That's totally worth rejoicing and just going for it over. Okay. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Ephesians chapter 1 said that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. It's a guarantee that one day we're going to rise from the grave. That is totally worth singing about. It is totally worth rejoicing and making a melody to the Lord in our hearts over. <sighs> Holy Spirit, fill us. I pray. Holy Spirit, make this the reality of our lives and my life. God, we want to be these people. Fill us, God. Fill us. Okay, it leads then to gratitude as well. To gratitude, to being people of thanks. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago I was talking about bitter people and how, we, if we're honest, it sucks to hang out with bitter people. This is the complete opposite. How awesome is it to hang with people whose hearts are full of gratitude? who genuinely are not moaning about every problem in life, but are actually seeing every single blessing that God has given them and are thankful for it. That is awesome to hang around. That is amazing. That is what the Spirit does in our lives. It's so uplifting. And uh, we mustn't press the words too far here because it says, in everything, in all times. Um, I don't want to press it too literally to the point where some of us are rejoicing over evil. Thank you, God, for that car accident or whatever. No, 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 no. We're not, that, that's pushing it too far. But even in those sorts of circumstances, I think what Paul would say is, on the other side of tragedy and bad moments, maybe we can look back and see the sovereign, providential hand of God that has worked all evil things for the good of those who love him and according to his purpose. And we can say, God, thank you for that thing which actually seemed tragic at the time. I can give thanks to you. When the Spirit is filling us, we give thanks to our Father, okay, the Father of lights who gives us every good gift. And we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, the Son. Okay, Our three-in-one God is good. Hear it all in this, these few verses. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. Amazing life in them flowing in and through us. Lastly, the last thing the Spirit does here in our lives, is the S word in our culture, submission. Submission. Again, this isn't a hard command here. It's actually, again, it's a result of being filled with the Spirit. It's something that, that comes out of us. It's something that we um, hand ourselves over to. It's submission. Submission to one another. The Holy Spirit is a humble spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is humble. The Holy Spirit does not consistently point to himself. He points to another in Jesus. He makes Jesus famous. He highlights the name above every other name, the name of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. He's a humble spirit. And so those filled with him, those filled with the Holy Spirit are going to be meek people. We're going to be humble people who recognize it's not about us. Anything, anything, whatever it is, it's not about us. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in us. And it doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we're pushovers. That doesn't mean we don't stand up for things. We don't stand up for truth. That we just keel over. That's not what it means at all. But what it does mean is that we don't need to consistently have our own way in our lives, especially on trivial matters. We are so happy to submit to one another. We're so happy to submit to one another. We don't need to insist on our own way. Where are we going to eat today? We don't need to insist on that. What shall we do today? We don't need to insist on that. We are totally happy to go along with your rubbish plan. We're totally happy to do that because it's, we don't need to do that. And ultimately, our highest submission is to Jesus. Our highest submission is to Jesus because it says there, we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We're reverent to Christ. We submit to Christ. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? Or why should we do that? Why can we do that? We do that. We submit to Jesus. We're in awe of Jesus because we trust him. Because we can trust Jesus. Whoever you are today, wherever you're coming from, you can trust Jesus. You can love Jesus. Think about it. He too was humble. He too didn't insist on his own way. Okay, he submitted to the will of the Father. He sacrificed his life on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to God so that we could walk on the new way that God has for us, the way that leads to life and not to death, the way that is wise and not unwise, the way that will echo out for generations and change the globe for the good and not for the ill. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. We can trust him. We can submit our lives to him. We can yield to him and the spirit of Christ and be transformed by that. Um, what? Yeah, the band's going to come up, and um, I'm going to hand over to Drew, but here's just a quick few thoughts of, of, of how we could respond. Um, if you've never trusted in Christ, I want to urge you, do it now. Do it now. The days are evil, and God has not left you without an opportunity right now. He's calling you. He's speaking to you right now. He's showing you how much he loves you and how much he wants your life to count and be wise. And so right now, if that is you, all you need to do is, is turn from your sin, recognize its folly, and turn to Christ and recognize that you need salvation from that and that it has been purchased on the cross for you. And trust in Christ and follow him and that his perfect record will be counted towards you. For the majority of us, I think we just need to come to God and it's not going to be a solid moment uh, necessarily. We need to come to God today, this week, and start to consider how we can be intentional with our lives given the future God's called us to and the, what the will of the Lord is, what our why is. We need to do some serious thinking with our calendars, our budgets. And then I just wanted to say, if there is anyone here who is struggling with alcohol, I want to say, come to God now, bring it to God now, and then come and bring it to people. Bring it to people you trust. Get that out in the open. There's journeys to walk. There's healing that can happen. And also, if, if alcohol has had consequences on your life, you might not be in it now, but there has been real repercussions. Come to God. Bring it to God. Ask for God's help. Ask for God's grace. And share that with your life group. Share that with those who are close to you, who can who can change the future with you, with God. 
to a new to a new life. But don't be on your own. If you're not in a life group, be in a life group. It's the best thing for your faith. Over to Drew.